Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you're clever, you can put another finger into Romans 5 because we're just going to do a reading from both those places this morning. If you've not got a Bible, uh, then I encourage you just to uh, follow it on the screen. Uh, We are continuing our series uh, that we've been in for the last three weeks now, uh, asking the question, who is Jesus? And we've been looking at a few different places in the Bible to inform us as to how uh, the person that we worship and give our lives to is at the center of the church. So 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verses 20 to 22, and then verses 45 to 49, and then we're going to skip over to Romans 5. Could the, could the bass go down a little bit or something? I can hear rumbling behind me. Okay, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15 says this, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and then after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born, but just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. And then Romans 5 verses 12 and 17, therefore, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? We've got some complicated verses there, which I hope by the end of this morning uh, you'll have some clarity over. I want to put this to you. You might not have thought about it, but actually most of us spend most of our lives in teams or groups. And often these teams and groups have leaders or captains, people that are sort of somewhat in charge. So in your family, it's usually your mum and dad or your grandparents. Uh, uh, In your class at school, the clear leader, hopefully, is the teacher. Uh, Perhaps if you're in a sports team, then who would you have? You'd have the captain. And perhaps in your department at work, you might have your line manager. And sometimes you choose to be part of these groups or teams, and sometimes somebody else gets to choose it for you. God sees all of humanity in a very similar way. He sees all of us, all of mankind, in two teams or two groups, if you like, with two leaders. Either you belong to Adam, who was the first man God created, you're in Adam's team, Or you belong to Jesus, known as the last Adam. And that's in verse 45 of our reading from 1 Corinthians 15. And the question is, which team or which group are you in? In Adam's team or the last Adam's team? Are you in Christ or in Adam? Who is your leader? 
And what we'll find out is this. You must choose in this life which team you want to be part of. Otherwise, the choice is made for you. And once the choice is made, something really dramatic happens. You see, what we find is this. What is true of the captain or the leader is actually true for the whole team. So the leader almost acts as a representative or some, and somehow the choices they make and the decisions they make become the decisions and the choices of the whole team. Their identity becomes the team's identity. And I tried to think, you know, what's a good sort of analogy of this? And I guess with the World Cup on, that's a great place to start. Imagine um, a captain of a football team taking a penalty in a penalty shootout of the World Cup final. If he scores, the team wins. But the team themselves as individuals are not taking the penalties by themselves, but rather the whole team and the whole team benefits from one kick of the ball by one person. So the penalty taker represents the rest of the team. that They act for them and wins or loses for the team. Everyone with me? So they act on their behalf. It's a bit like if you've got a head of state, like a politician who perhaps is signing a peace deal for your nation. His negotiation, his decision, his signature means you are no longer at war and it has a huge impact on you. It means his decisions implicate and affect everyone else who's associated with him. So the Bible sees Adam's team and Jesus's team functioning in exactly the same way. And we're going to look at the differences between these two teams for the rest of our time together. But we're going to start with the team names. Verse 45. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being and the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. So there you have it. Adam. Adam means human or mankind. He represents all of us. He's the first man. And we will see his decisions are actually our decisions. And all of us are in his team when we're born. The second team is Jesus, the last Adam. Notice Jesus isn't the second Adam, implying there may be a third or a fourth Adam to come. No, Jesus is the last Adam. He's the only alternative to the first Adam. There's only two teams. There's no other teams to join. You're either in Adam's team or the last Adam's team. So what do these verses tell us about this first team, team Adam? Well, he's the first man and he's given responsibility at the start of human history to choose correctly for every single one of us. God gives him some very clear instructions. He tells him to fill the earth. He's asked to choose God's kingdom, relationship with God, meaningful work and not to eat the fruit of a certain tree. But what we find out in Genesis 1 to 3, mankind wants independence, self-rule. And so they rebel. And that is what the Bible calls sin. And they choose to eat the fruit. And there are huge consequences. And some of the consequences are this for Adam and Eve and for the rest of mankind. That instead of ongoing life with God, what happens is that creation is cursed with physical and spiritual death. These two verses describe the same thing. So we just read this. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 21 and 22. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, 
so in Christ all will be made alive. And also we heard it in Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death comes to all people because all sinned. So I hope you see what's going on here. Adam chooses sin and death very quickly follows. That means that he's physically going to die instead of living forever. But also it means he dies spiritually, meaning that he's separated from God. Sin gets in the way of him and God. And he faces judgment for his rebellion against God's loving kindness. Now, remember what we said right at the start. What is true for Adam as our representative, as our team leader, is true for us. So Adam receives death and judgment. How unfair is that, that we also receive death and judgment? How does that work? Because it doesn't seem very fair. Well, there's two ways of understanding this. And I want you just to sort of put your thinking caps on for a second. I'm going to push you a little bit here. Romans 5 verse 12. We just looked at it. Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You can either look at that verse by saying, firstly, either all sinned by copying Adam's example. So Adam sins in the garden and every human being has imitated Adam. And so therefore all have sinned since Adam. Or you can say all sinned when Adam sinned and they were included in his sinning. And that's participation. It's like we were there. So you've either got imitation, we just do what Adam's done, or we've got participation. It's like we were actually there sinning with him. And you may not care much about the difference, but it's actually really, really important because what is at stake is the comparison between Christ and Adam. So in a minute, we're going to hear about what Christ does on our behalf uh, for those that are in his team. And if we don't understand this phrase, because all sinned, as because all sinned in Adam, participation, the entire comparison between Christ and Adam will be distorted and we don't get to see the greatness of God and justification by grace through faith for what it really is. So let me try and illustrate this. If you say through one man sin and death entered the world and death spread to everybody else because of the more sinning individually, that's imitation, then the comparison to Jesus could be so also through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness and life entered the world and life spread to all because all individually did acts of righteousness and goodness. So in other words, justification, being made right before God, would not be God giving us Christ's righteousness, but rather us performing individual acts of righteousness with Christ's help and that being counted as righteousness on that basis. In other words, our salvation would be based on like how nice we are and how much we come to church and uh, how Christian we are. But what does that say about the work of Christ if we take the words because all sinned to mean because all sinned in Adam? Participation. Well, that has a radically different way of looking at it. It would go like this. 
Just as through one man sin and death entered the world and death spread to everybody because all sinned in Adam and his sin was given to us, imputed to us. So also through one man, Jesus Christ, righteousness entered the world and life and through righteousness and life spread to all who are in Christ because his righteousness is given to them. So that's why it's really, really important, actually, what these verses mean. I can see that some of you are like, what on earth is he talking about? But let me put it like this. We're all born in Adam. Everyone gets put in this team when they're born. Everybody in the world, no matter when or where or who, every tribe, every language, every culture, every ethnic identity, everybody has the same fundamental problem. We inherit a sinful nature. Adam's sinful choice in the garden affects us like we were actually there. And we all inherit separation from God and we all need to be born again. We're physically alive but spiritually dead on the inside. And that is the important parallel that these verses are talking about. The deepest reason why death reigns over us all is not just because we individually sin, but because of Adam's sin that is given to us. So the deepest reason eternal life reigns is not because of our individual deeds of righteousness and goodness, but because Christ's righteousness is imputed or given to us by grace through faith. Most of you with me on this? Great. Well done. What needs to happen if we see that Adam's team or the last Adam's team? Well, we need to seriously consider which team we're on. And my advice would be to make sure you're in Jesus' team. So let's look some, at some of the traits of Team Jesus, the last Adam. Three benefits of being in Christ. Just going to do three. Number one is resurrection. These are found in verses 20 and 21. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. So this is what we know as Christians. This is what we believe. We believe that Christ died on the cross. We believe he was stabbed through the heart. He definitely died. Three days later, we believe he rose from the dead. He's described as the first fruits of those fallen asleep or those who have died. In other words, his his resurrection is a bit like the first crops to be harvested. You know, there's much more to come. And so just as Christ rises from the grave, there will be a day when we two will be resurrected. He defeats death and we inherit his victory. Now, this doesn't mean that death isn't a bad thing. This doesn't mean that Christians don't die. Nor is it saying resurrection is the immediate future for those that die. Now, when we die, if we're in Christ's team, we wait for Christ's final judgment of our lives. And when that moment comes, when that moment comes, When Jesus returns, that is when death is finally defeated because no one will die again and all of humanity is resurrected. And those that are in Christ will rise. They will receive their new resurrection bodies and receive no punishment in the judgment because Jesus has already taken that for them at the cross. And so those in Christ at the resurrection go on to enjoy the beautiful, sin-free new heavens and new earth. And sadly, what we believe is this, those in Adam, those still in Adam's team, they face God's judgment on their own. Jesus does not save them. 
and they face eternity separated from God. So how does that affect the here and now? Well, this. If Christ is raised, and if trusting him means that we believe that we will be raised also, then this life is just a very brief period of time, a prelude, if you like, to eternal life with Jesus and ever-increasing joy with him. If you truly believe that, that will mean in this life we can make some very radical choices. To make sacrifices, to live generously, to because we know that there is a beautiful life to come. Let me give you one small illustration of how this works from the teachings of Jesus in Luke 14. This is, this is what Jesus said. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers and sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. As Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the, at the resurrection of the righteous. Can you see the motivation there? It's a very powerful thing. It's more than just saying you believe it, but it's actively putting your hope that there is a day to come where you will be richly rewarded. Without resurrection, if you stay in Adam's team, then you tend to want your pleasures here and now, and you will avoid risk and you will avoid danger and difficulty and pain and discomfort. You'll avoid any sort of frustration. And to be honest, your love will be tame. It will be bland. It will be weak. It will be cautious. So, for example, we avoid being generous, especially to the poor, fearing that we're throwing our money away or not saving it on for, for the future if we don't believe fully in the resurrection. If we think life is about the here and now, we will play our cards very carefully, hold them close to our chest, and avoid committing. It means even in sort of church life together, um, for many of you that are sort of in the season of life where you're making decisions about the future, you can avoid committing to one place, fearing that you might miss out. You're curtailing your career or limiting your options. Others will not commit to church planting or uh, going somewhere to spread the good news about Jesus, fearing risk, fearing uncertainty, fearing the danger. Some of us will avoid creating a true sense of family with people that are different from us because it's hard and it's frustrating and difficult rather than loving others as we love ourselves. But Jesus says, if you believe that your joy in the resurrection will make up for the thousands of losses and self-denials and sacrifices in this life, then you will love people without a view to what you can get out of it here. Am I making sense, guys? It's very challenging. Like, if you really believe that you're in Christ and you hope for the resurrection, it must have an impact on the way that you spend your life in this life. So first of all, is resurrection. Second benefit of being in Christ's team is being made alive. Verse 22 says that, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There is more about this, this is more about this life, not the life to come. So we've looked ahead. Now we're talking about the here and now. What it's saying is this, in Adam's team, you are dead 
in your sin. So it's good to actually imagine a coffin with you lying in it. And that coffin is stuffed with darkness. It's stuffed with sin. It's stuffed with evil. You are dead in your sin in Adam's team. That is your true state. And because that's your true state, it means that you are not alive to God. Your heart is hardened. It's like a stone. You're unable to love God in that place because you are just consumed with the darkness, unable to embrace God, unable to please God. But in the last Adam, a new birth occurs. He dies the death we should experience so that life can flood into our spiritual lives. We're born again. We are literally dragged out the coffin. And somehow there's like a spiritual defibrillator that pounds into our chest and we come alive to God. Life suddenly happens. Ephesians 2 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we're in the coffin, dead in our sin and transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. Being made alive means that we will never die again spiritually. We've broken out of the grave by grace and we're made alive and that we will never, ever be anything other than alive. That means practically our whole orientation for this life is to be alive to God and dead to sin and selfishness and evil. Romans 6, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you, are you counting yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Because that is your reality by being part of the last Adam's team. What's true for him is true for you. So when you think, how do I resist temptation? How do I live a holy life? How do I break out of habitual sin that I just struggle so much with? For some of you, it's understanding and believing who you are in Christ, dead to sin and alive to God. You know, I had a wonderful chat with uh, Steve Vaughan just last week. Steve uh, and his wife Leanne are church planting in Dublin. We sent them off about 18 months ago. And uh, Steve is absolutely thriving. He's got a sales job. You know Steve could sell sell anything to anyone. Well, it's actually true. In a large company, 1,500 worldwide workforce, uh, Steve is their fourth best seller. And God has blessed him there. But this is what he said to me. He said that... Um, the pull to earn a lot of money in a very short period of time is very strong because they pay their salespeople very, very well. And he knows that if he, at the moment he, he gives his work, this probably shouldn't be recorded, but he gives his full-time job, he gives it three and a half days. So he is still the fourth bestseller by only giving it sort of just above part-time. Then the rest of the time he gives to serving the church plant. And he says this, he says the temptation to set himself up for life, you know, mortgage free, load of savings, great pension by working five days a week is really, really strong. And he has to battle sin, battle the temptation and lust for money in order to serve the church. And so I thanked him for our brief Skype conversation. I said, that's probably cost you about 300 quid. I'm sorry, um, but uh, I hope it was a good conversation. And um, it struck me that this is the reality for Steve, is that there is a fight that he is having to fight and he has to count himself 
dead to sin and alive to God. Personally, um, I'm in the middle of buying a house and the person we're buying from has been incredibly difficult. And so the temptation, not the people buying from uh, buying our house, make that clear, <laughs> they are brilliant. Uh, cartilages are buying our house. The people we are buying from up the chain and the temptation uh, is to get angry. The temptation is to mull over what I would say to them if I saw them. The temptation is to take as much from them because we feel like they've taken from us and be difficult for them. And for me, the reality of this preach today is making sure that that doesn't have control over me. That the thoughts of wanting to go somewhere with people that have hurt me is strong. And I may have failed somewhere in my past in the way that I've treated people who have wronged me is not going to determine how I deal with this situation now. Why? Because I'm counting myself dead to sin and alive to Christ. My identity is different. I'm in a different team. And I don't know what your struggles are, but that might be a a word from God for you today. Are you counting yourself dead to that sin and alive to Christ? And then lastly, um, I didn't quite know what to call this, but there is like a heavenly benefit that's mentioned in this passage of being in Christ's team. It says this in verse 46, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And then after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of earth and as is the heavenly man. So also are those who are of heaven. And just as we've been born in the image of earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So it's interesting here that Jesus is called the second man, not the last man in verse 47. He's the last Adam, but he's the second man. And that's appropriate for two reasons. Firstly, Adam, when God created him, he was innocent. He was as God intended him to be. But when sin entered the world, Adam and the rest of mankind became less than the full true humanity that God created. And secondly, this means that Jesus, who is the perfect sinless man, is the only person to be fully human in the way that God intended mankind to be. He was indeed the second man, but he's not called to be the last man because he starts Uh, I guess, the beginning of a new humanity. From him should flow a third and a fourth and a fifth. So he's not the last man. He's the last Adam because there's no other team to join. But he is the second man. Apostle Paul is saying that in Christ, um, you immediately participate in the spiritual life that will go on for eternity. What you do here affects the life to come. Instead of Adam's team, which is earthly, it's made of dust and it's temporary because of sin. And so that's our new identity. Hence, and just as we've been born in the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. We're born in Adam. That's our original inherited fallen identity. But we're born again in Christ, the last Adam. That is our new redeemed, resurrected identity given to us in Christ. So I'll say it this way. If we compare the teams, if we can just have the next slide. Uh, next one after that, that's great. So Adam's team and Jesus' team. In Adam, there's defeat. 
In Christ there's victory. In Adam there's condemnation, but in Christ there's salvation. In Adam we receive a sin nature, but in Christ we've received a new nature that's alive to God. In Adam we're cursed, but in Christ we're blessed. In Adam there's wrath and there's death, but in Christ there's love and there's life. So what do we do with knowing that Christ is the last Adam and that our identity is found in him? How do we make the most of it? So listen, if you're a Christian here today, if you've decided to follow Jesus, then you're in Christ's team. I want to finish on this. How do you make sure you receive all those benefits? Because they're yours. Well, John 15 verse 5 says this. Let me read it to you. This is what Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The branches need a trunk, the main part of the vine. The branches cannot survive without the trunk. There's no nourishment, there's no life from the branch apart from the trunk. And you need to know this, you are a branch, you're not the trunk. You're not the source of strength. You're not able to survive independently. You have to go via the trunk. Jesus is the head. He's the leader. He's the boss, not you. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, that's the language of relationship and affection. Jesus is a person, not a concept. He is alive, not dead. He speaks. We hear. We obey. And if you continue in that friendship, in that wonderful love friendship, And you grow in that friendship, you nurture that friendship. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it's very black and white, actually. If you don't live in relationship with Jesus, if you don't know your identity in him, then all that you achieve counts for what? It counts for nothing. But if you get your identity from being in Christ, then that becomes the beginning of all your activity. So it starts with relationship, being, and ends in your doing. So for all of those that want to start the other way around and think about all you're doing first, like if I behave in a certain way, if I do the right things, then Jesus will have a relationship with me. It is exactly the opposite to how it works. Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants his life to flow through your life so that you can begin to change. From you comes something called fruitfulness as you let that relationship grow and develop. A new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of living. But it's not you, it's Christ in you. It's you believing you are truly dead to sin and alive to God. And If you don't understand and embrace the benefits of being in Christ, you will either become arrogant trying to be the trunk, doing it on your own, or you'll become discouraged because you fail every time you do it. So that relationship is absolutely key to being in Jesus' team. The best place to start your identity is to start in Christ. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Who am I in him? Now, there's loads of things our culture tells we are. Some of you are thinkers. Some of you are feelers. Some of you are extroverts. Some of you are introverts. All kinds of things. Those things do not define you. They're not the essence of who you are. They may be activities, but they're not your identity. Your identity this morning is in the last Adam, 
in Christ. And for some of you, the simple step today is to believe what the Bible says about you, is to sort of almost get under its authority. You're believing perhaps other things are true of your life and your identity. And today, perhaps God wants to come very close to you intimately and speak words of comfort and love and say, this is who you are in my team. The old has gone. The new has come. 